Today, we're going to talk about living in victory over sin. So we've got a few points we're going to look at through the weeks about living in victory. This might be the toughest one to look at, but we're going to look at it today. And maybe it's going to be heavy for some, or you're going to be like, boy, I don't like that verse. But here's how we're going to start out today. I want you to look at someone and say, don't leave till it's over. Okay, let's get started. 1 Corinthians 15 and 55. It says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin by which it brings death is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, to have a victory means there was a battle to begin with. And I've found that the greatest victories come from the nastiest battles. The most unbelievable battles produce the greatest victories. What am I saying? You don't have a victory without a battle. But God wants you to live in victory. And when we talk about living in victory over sin, it will be a fight. It doesn't happen on its own. But let me read to you this morning... Someone else's story. And I'm going to be reading it as the young lady wrote it. She says this. Growing up, I had a good relationship with my family and my higher power. I would pray because I was raised to believe in Jesus. But early in my teen years, I drifted away from the straight and narrow path. I began living in sin and hanging out with the bad crowd. I thought to fit in, I had to party, drink, and drug. This became a regular thing. Every weekend I would party, which became every other day, which became every day. My grades suffered and my family suffered. I became involved with a guy. We dated for a few years and we had two daughters. Once again, partying came first and it strained our relationship until we broke up because we were always arguing about what the other was doing. We had no trust and we were codependent and the relationship didn't last. After this breakout, this breakup, I really went into a downward spin, and I started selling drugs to support my habit and keep my so-called friends. At this point, I still had not hit bottom, nor did I realize how deep I was getting, but it got deeper. I became addicted to heroin and meth. I had another relationship with another guy for a few years, lost many best friends, and watched countless other young people fade away. This still didn't make me want to stop. The spiritual awakening I finally had happened while I was in Edmonton. I was released from jail for committing a robbery. It was midnight in the middle of winter and I had nothing but the clothes on my back. After walking for some time, I met a stranger who promised me drugs. I was dependent on drugs, so I went with him to go see another hookup. Somehow, that stranger I was with set me up and got me kidnapped by a dealer who he had ripped off. I was so naive and wanted to believe that the stranger I had just met would come back with their money or their stuff, but he didn't. You see, church, sin will take you farther than you ever want to go. Scripture says the pleasure of sin only lasts for a season. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you, yeah, there's some pleasure in sin. See, the old flesh wants to go that direction, but it's only for a time. 
And the problem is when you decide you want out, sin won't let you go. You've become its slave. But God wants us to live in victory over sin. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. says, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. God wants you and I to defeat wickedness or sin. That term, evil world, he simply means the evil that the enemy's trying to do, the sin that's trying to draw you away. And he wants us to defeat it. Once again, to defeat something means there's a battle. He wants us to win that battle. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Let me say it again. There will be a battle. Church, don't think that you can ignore sin and it'll just go away. Don't think you can ignore the giants in your life and they'll somehow disappear. You see, we must decide we want victory over sin and then fight the way God says. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. And I'm going to read quite a portion here, but I will break off a bit and I want you to stick with me. This is God's word talking to us about how to live in victory. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may live new lives. He is speaking to believers in this portion, okay? He's speaking to people who have accepted Christ and say they're Christians. And he's telling them, hey, you guys, we can't keep living in sin. Christ wants us to have new lives. All right, let's continue. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also will be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Why did Christ die according to this portion of scripture? To break the power of sin. So sin's power has already been broken. Do you hear me? 
Sin's power has already been broken. So none of us can say, well, sin is more powerful than us. Its power's already been broken. But let's, let's continue. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Let me read that again. Everybody say, do not. Let sin control the way you live. Everybody say, do not give in to sinful desires. Who is the one who chooses not to do this? Me. Point at yourself, it's not right to point at other people, it's not polite. (laughs) Me. It's you and I who make the choice. Well, let's continue. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Now, if you've been following along, you're like, he's repeating himself. Yes, he is. The pastor does that sometimes too. (laughs) He's repeating himself because he knows we need to hear it more than once. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Who chooses? Me. Go ahead, point at yourself. This is like so you remember. Anyhow, this scripture says, me, I choose. You and I make the choice. Others don't choose for us. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you're free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. All right, I want to make this point from here. Because Christ has set us free from sin on the cross, if we are still living in sin, it is by our own choice. You can't get away with the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. He can tempt you. He can trick, try to trick you like he did at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. But he tricked them by, you know, playing to their desires. They had a desire to be powerful. They had a desire to try that pleasurable-looking fruit. But he can't make you do anything. So church, you and I choose. I remember having a discussion with one of my daughters as a teenager. And she was talking to me about some things she'd heard. And uh, for young ones, I'll be kind of careful how I say it, but she'd heard about people who were being stolen and then sold for horrible things. And she was really upset about it. And she said, well, Dad... If God cares about people, he loves people so much, why does that happen? And I said, well, God gave and gives people choice, free choice. They can choose to follow the plan he wants or they can choose their own way. She got really upset. She said, well, why did God do a stupid thing like that and give us all free choice? (laughs) I thought that was ironic coming from a teenager. (laughs) Anyways, he did. You know, we may not even understand why God does some things, but we're not God. 
And he did give us the choice to choose. Romans 8 and verse 4. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. As we read through this next portion, you're going to see here's the answer. You want to live in freedom over sin? Here is the answer. You don't follow your sinful desires. You need to follow the Spirit. Okay. Verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So let your sinful nature, so letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Okay, let me just say from that, it makes it very clear where sin starts. Sin starts in the mind and moves from there. Because that's where we win or lose. All right. Verse 9, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him. In other words, if you're a believer, there's a Spirit of God in you that can give you the power to have victory over sin. Verse 10, and Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit within you. Whew! I'm getting tired reading all these verses. I hope you're keeping with me here. Don't give up. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Well, there you go. So that saying just follow your heart usually means follow whatever your flesh wants to do is a bad saying. No, follow God's principles and God's word. For if you live by the dictates, by its dictates, your sinful nature, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. All right, let me ask that question again. Who puts to death the deeds of the sinful nature? Well, let's read it again. Let's read it again. If through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature. Oh, me. Now, you're not going to do it in your own power. You're not going to do it alone. But you and I are the ones. Too many times as believers were like, well, if God wants to take that away from me, he can. He already paid for what needed to be done so it could be dealt with, but it's up to you to let him help you defeat it. So the power comes from the Holy Spirit, but it's up to me. I want to take a minute and go back to our story. Because I think... I left her being kidnapped. So let me go back to the story. In this young lady's words, this was the first time in my life that I thought I might die. For 12 hours, I was beaten, drugged, strangled, and almost suffocated. Finally, I was threatened with a gun. The whole time I prayed to God asking for protection and for comfort, 
and for one more chance. I didn't want to die. And this is one time I thought I was going to end up a statistic. By the grace of God, my kidnappers pushed me out of the vehicle at a red light on the highway. This was an eye-opener for me, and I decided I was going to quit. I tried my best to conquer my addiction alone, but the addiction won after a while until another situation happened. I wanted to try quitting again, but instead I chose to do the only thing I knew how, to get another quick fix. I'd make a quick stop and make some money, but I ended up selling drugs to an undercover officer. It was part of a larger investigation, but it led to me getting more charges. I went to detox in the morning, got booked in and dropped off. Later that night, the cops were at my house looking to arrest me. I was really scared I might go to jail, and I'd also just found out I was pregnant. So here I was, pregnant, in detox, and on warrant. And they told me I'd be facing a minimum of four years in jail. Church, sin will take you farther than you ever want to go. You think you can just play in it a little bit. I'll just stop here. Oh, I'm just going to say, God, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to keep playing for a while longer. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are continually fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, <clears throat> dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. If we want to defeat sin, we need to allow the Spirit to be what we're thinking about, and we need to follow His leading. You see, the opposite of victory is defeat, and God does not want us leading defeated lives. And friend, anyone who is a slave to sin is most definitely leading a defeated life. All right. It would be wrong for me not to also let you know that often with sin, there is a spiritual side. Anyone who has been in sin long enough for it to become an addiction often also has spiritual things happening and they need to be free. Okay, that's a fact, and it would be wrong for me not to tell you that. I want to read from James chapter 4, verse 4, out of the Message 
uh, translation. I rarely read out of this, but it very clearly says something here that we need to hear. Verse 4 says this, You're cheating on God if all you want is your own way. Flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and His way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge. God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Maybe you heard it in a version that said, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But those contemporary words said it pretty clear as well. Church, we choose to fight. Knowing our sinful nature and the devil want us to sin against God who loves us fiercely. There's a battle. Our sinful nature wants us to go and sin and so does the devil. But we can live in victory when we understand how we have the power to win through his spirit. You see, the giant of sin around you is not just going to go away on its own. You can't ignore it and expect it to leave. But you can defeat it with God's power working through you. Maybe some of you remember the story of David and Goliath from Sunday school. David, the shepherd boy who heads to the army's camp. They're supposed to be in battle, but they're not quite in battle. And he gets there with bread and cheese for his brothers. And while he's there, the opposing army, the Philistines, who are against God's people across the valley, they send out their champion, a giant named Goliath. And Goliath shouts out and defies their God and tells them, send your best man to fight me. If he wins, we'll be your slaves. But if I win, you'll be my slaves. But doesn't that sound like sin? David's looking around and everybody's hiding, pretending the giant's not there. And David says, well, what's going on? How come nobody's going? And they, well, haven't you seen how big he is? Look. Finally, he says, what is going on? And people tell him, well, our king said anybody who does it is going to get treasures and promoted greatly. Finally, David says, fine, I'll do it. His brothers get angry at him because they didn't have the courage to deal with it. I found over the years when people don't have the courage to deal with sin and you talk about sin, boy, they get mad at you in a hurry. But that's okay. I want people free. I don't do this so people will like me. I do this so people can walk free. I've seen too many people in bondage till it destroys them. I got to do youth for many years. I'm just going to insert this. Many years we got to do youth in this area. Seen youth come and go. Stories that would, you would be, how did that happen? Stories where sin totally and completely defeated them and took them out. 
Remember a young man, he'd come to the youth. He'd even said the prayer for Christ to come in, but he never walked it. He wanted the pleasure of sin more. And he let alcohol consume him. And they would party and alcohol would consume him and rage would take over. And one morning after having one of these situations with alcohol and rage and his friend with him, he comes to after his blackout. And his friend is laying on the floor in a pool of blood dead. And he panics. And he tries to cover it up and hide. And he runs his vehicle and he tries to take off. You see, he thought it was pleasure of sin for a little while. He never intended to kill his best friend. Church, I want to see people free. And people don't get free when Christians play games. We're the ones with the light who can help them get free. I just feel... There's some people in this group. I didn't share this at the other. There's some people in this group who God has called to be Davids, to fight for others. Because maybe you're here today, my life's fine, everything's good. Then why don't you fight for somebody else? You see, that wasn't David's battle, but he fought it. But let me go to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and 45, and let's pick up David's story. You see, he's decided he'll go and he'll fight. And as he walks out, the Philistine tells him and a bunch of terrible things, and David answers back. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you in to our hands. Because the battle is the Lord's, David said a little prayer. He went home to his comfy couch and watched Netflix. And God showed up and decimated the giant and all the Philistines with a lightning bolt from heaven. Again, anybody who read your Bible, you know that this is not what happened. But how come in our Western Christian culture, we interpret the battle as the Lord means I don't have to do anything? Why do we interpret it that way? Because we're lazy and we want to play in sin. Whew, that just came out too. Now, that isn't what David did. The battle is the Lord's doesn't mean you don't do anything. The battle is the Lord's means that you're going to fight like you've never fought before, and he's going to fight through you, and you're going to see unbelievable, amazing victories. But you will have to fight. Get up. Somebody needs to hear this. Get up. You've been called. Get up. I wish you could see today the victories that God wants to do through you. If you only knew. If you only knew. But they won't happen if you don't get up. I wish you guys could see what the victories he wants to do through you. David didn't go do nothing. David took some stones, and it says he ran towards that giant. Church, do you hear me? You want giants to fall in your life? You don't ignore them. You run at them with the word of God. You give it everything you've got, and you fight. He put a stone in that sling, and he slung it at the giant. It says it sunk into his forehead, and he fell flat. 
But he didn't stop there. He grabbed that giant sword and he chopped his head off. You want to live in victory over sin? Don't you dare just knock it out. You defeat it. If you're struggling with alcohol, you don't keep a spare bottle in the back cabinet just in case. Because just in case will be tomorrow. You defeat it completely. You know, we talk about the big sins often. The story we are reading about the young lady in heroin and meth. But what about the little ones? What about a food addiction? What about, well, I don't have an alcohol addiction. I just drink once a week. But actually, you drink once a night and sometimes in the afternoon because you can't make it till night. You need to be free. Quit it. It's going to destroy you. It'll take you further than you want to go. But David defeated that giant completely. And church, I want to say something. The way you win the big battles is the same way you win the little battles. Because David defeated a bear and a lion and then a giant the exact same way every time. With a prayer to the Lord and using my slingshot because that's what he showed me how to use. Let me give you an example. It's not a real one, but... You know, it could be. And I'll use myself so you don't feel bad. Let's just say I have an addiction for strawberry cheesecake. I do like it a lot, by the way, but it's not an addiction. But let's just pretend it is. And let's say I eat strawberry cheesecake every night and sometimes at lunch. And I go to my doctor. My doctor says, you are really unhealthy. Your sugars are way up here. You're going to be a diabetic if you don't quit. See, God's word speaks to our spiritual health and says, don't do this. It's not good for you. Doctors speak to our physical health. Well, I'd be like, okay, I know it's the cheesecake. I'm going to deal with it. Well, what would I do? Oh, well, I'd take the cheesecake I had, and I would throw it in the garbage, and I'd tie it up, and I'd take it outside to the outside garbage. And I would not go over to the grocery store and stand at the cheesecake aisle and stare at them all day. And I would not visit old couples who like to give me tea and free cheesecake. You win the little battles and the big battles the very same way. In church, you will win. But you'll have to fight. I want to finish our story here this morning that the young lady wrote. She says, in treatment I learned to have more faith because I really relied on Jesus to get me through everything like he did before. God gave me strength to tackle my addiction, to face the music, and to deal with my problems one at a time and one day at a time. I faced the cops and my court dates. I started regularly attending church and started rebuilding my life from nothing. I started attending 12-step meetings, and this helped me tremendously because it's a spiritual program. Through all of this, I got my life back. I now have my own home, my own vehicle, a good job. I got my kids back, my health back, my license back, and I gave birth to a healthy, smart beautiful baby girl. Now, whenever I start my day, before my feet hit the floor, I will pray to God and thank Jesus for giving me another chance to have a good life. Every day is a miracle, and these trials and tragedies have taught me a few things, mainly that God loves us and protects us and wants us to be filled with life. He never left me in my darkest moments, but truly carried me through those tough times. I know a little bit of backstory to this that I've just read because this young lady, lady attends our church. And I remember 
a few years back when her mom came to service and said, will you pray for my daughter? I'm really scared for her. And I said, we will. And after we prayed, I said, you need to bring her here, whatever it takes. We want to pray with her here. We want to be able to uh, put our hands on her and pray for her. Eventually, the mom was able to bring her, and she brought her, and she sat in that back row right there. And as I preached, she was under the effects of drugs. She did drugs every day, and she was still under the effects of those drugs. Her eyes were closed. Her eyes were open. But as soon as that service ended, I told my wife, let's go pray for her. And I talked with her and asked her for her permission to pray. She was in a drug haze, but she stared at me for a bit, and she said, yes, you can pray for me. I remember praying for her, and God declaring things over her. And we wouldn't see her for a few months after that and had no idea she was going through some of these things here. She eventually came back to church, started attending regularly. That was the part where she was going. She was fighting. You see, she didn't just say a prayer and end it there. She said the prayer. She went to detox. She did the 12-step programs and continued. She started attending church regularly. She got other people around her. She fought. These stories don't happen just because someone said a little prayer. She fought for it. And I remember her coming for prayer as she was regularly attending, and she said, I need prayer. I have court coming up. And they're saying I'm going to serve a minimum of four years. I remember as we prayed, I said, you know what? There are consequences to our actions, but I believe God is even so unbelievable, merciful, and loving that he can lessen those consequences, even remove them if he chooses. I said, all we can do is ask. And so we began to pray and ask. She went to her court date, and she told me later through her mother, because from the court date she did go straight to jail, but only for nine months, not four years. And those nine months became six months, thank you to a little thing called COVID. And they let a bunch of people go home. And she came home, and she now attends our church regularly with her three daughters has her own place, a vehicle, and is serving God with her life. Give God praise for that. And she says at the end of this that she wrote, if he can do it for me, he can do it for anybody. So church, here today, I don't know, has everybody here asked Christ into their life to forgive them and make them new? In case somebody hasn't, I'm going to give you opportunity right where you're sitting. You see, Scripture says if you believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth, he'll come into your life, he'll forgive you, and he'll begin a work in you. So we do this. We take opportunity to say this simple prayer so that we're speaking out, yeah, Lord, we believe you, we want it. So we're going to do that again today, and I want all of you to repeat after me. There may be someone here for the first time who wants to do this or maybe giving their life back to God. They've been going on a different path. Let's pray right now. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus. I believe you died for me. I ask you now, forgive me for all my messes. I thank you, Jesus. I'm yours. Use me now. Amen. So I want to pray a, uh, a prayer over you as a group, but I want to pray something specific right where you're seated. And I'm going to pray that God gives you boldness and courage, but also that he reveals if there's anything in your life you need to let go. You see, church, I don't have to give you a list of things you can and can't do. All you need to do if you're a believer is say, Lord, is this thing that I'm doing pleasing you? And you're going to know. Well, I didn't hear his voice. You will feel immediately when you ask that question. 
is this thing that I'm partaking, is this pleasing you, Jesus? You'll know. And when you know it's not, then you get up and you fight till it's gone. Okay, let me pray. Go ahead, bow one more time. You don't have to repeat anything here. But Lord, I just pray over this group. I thank you. Each of them have come for a purpose today. And Lord, your purposes are good. Lord, I just pray right now that you would reveal to them if there's anything in their lives that you want them to lay aside. Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage to get up. The boldness and the courage to run toward their giants, not ignore them. And I thank you. This is a courageous group of people here this morning. They are going from here today, and they are getting up. In the name of Jesus, we declare it. Amen.